Forget the myths that the media has created about the White House. The truth is, these are not very bright guys, and things got out of hand. Hunt's come in from the cold. Supposedly, he's got a lawyer with $25,000 in a brown paper bag. They follow the money. What do you mean? Where? Well, I can't tell you that. But you could tell me that. No, I have to do this my way. You tell me what you know, and I'll confirm. I'll keep you in the right direction if I can, but that's all. Just follow the money. Follow the money, a popular catchphrase in journalism, synonymous with Watergate drama All the President's Men, the 1976 biopic depicting how Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein broke the political scandal that took down President Richard Nixon. The current reality is that it's harder than ever to do that kind of journalism amidst a broken freedom of information system and tight resources in the shadow of bigger-than-ever crisis PR machines. The Investigative Journalism Foundation has launched in Canada, aimed at helping change that with the introduction of a series of searchable databases tracking political donations, lobbying, and charitable tax returns. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we welcome IJF CEO and Editor-in-Chief Zane Schwartz to talk about the not-for-profit's mission to help Canadian journalists uncover government waste and corruption and facilitate more investigative journalism. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Zane Schwartz. I'm the editor-in-chief of the brand new Investigative Journalism Foundation, which is a non-profit media outlet focused on public interest journalism here in Canada. My first job in media, I guess, would have been 2011. The Toronto Star had this program for young people to cover the election, the Ontario provincial election. And I got to interview Kathleen Wynne before she was premier, which very, very exciting. And then I was a freelancer. I did stuff at the Globe and Mail, at CP24. My first staff job was at McLean's Magazine, which was a ton of fun. I got to work on the university rankings, did some serious things like some uh, investigations into mental health on campus, did some fun things, like made the first party schools ranking of McLean's um, of universities. Then I worked at the National Post. I had the privilege of being a Michelle Lang Fellow, which is a fellowship for young journalists where you work at the Post and the Calgary Herald. Um, it's a fellowship designed to honor Michelle Lang who is an amazing Calgary Herald journalist who was killed in Afghanistan during the war. And when I was at The Post, I published a series called Follow the Money, looking at political donations in Canada. And that uh, really was the inspiration for the Investigative Journalism Foundation. After The Post, I had the pleasure of working at The Logic. I was the first employee got to hire a bunch of people, manage a bunch of people. That was a wonderful experience. And also for the past five years, I've had the privilege of volunteering as the national chair of the Canadian Association of Journalists. Volunteer role were the closest thing to a professional industry association for working journalists in Canada. 
We do things like uh, free journalists when they get arrested, which happens more often than, than it should, and run professional development programs, diversity surveys, things like that. And for the past two years, I've been working full-time as the editor of the Investigative Journalism Foundation, and I'm so excited to be here 24 hours post-launch to get to talk about it. It's really exciting. So as you mentioned, this project has been a couple of years in the making. Can you talk about how the idea started and how IJF came together? When I was working as a staff reporter at various places, the work that I always loved was data-focused political journalism. And so I always had this dream in the back of my head of creating an outlet that could focus on that type of work. And I was really inspired by two U.S. organizations, ProPublica, which I'm sure listeners of this podcast know well, and um, Open Secrets, which they may not know. Open Secrets is a nonprofit that maintains constantly updating databases of who donates to U.S. politicians and who lobbies them. And it's a wonderful resource for journalists in the United States, because when you're writing a story about anything, the the current votes for speaker in the House or an election, it's very easy to see, oh, this politician received money from this person, and that may help you understand why they're taking a stance or ask a more pointed question. And I wanted to create a similar resource here in Canada. That was really sort of the inspiration, seeing this gap that we have the laws in Canada that require this data to be public. It's just not accessible for anyone. You have to go to each province's and territory's website. Sometimes you have to actually go to a provincial archive. Our goal is to make it really easy to answer questions like, who's the biggest donor to the UCP in Alberta or the Newfoundland Liberals or whomever? I don't think we can have this discussion without talking about the climate for investigative journalism. There were a couple of statistics that came out in the last few months on the number of journalists who are just straight up abandoning the freedom of information system due to the excessive wait times. Not to mention that journalists, particularly those covering politics, are far outnumbered by public relations staffers. Can you talk about some of those realities And how you hope the IJF database is going to help make more investigative journalism possible. Absolutely. That series by uh, Tom Robin at The Globe has been amazing, looking at just how broken our freedom of information system is. Journalists are working incredibly hard with fewer and fewer resources. The size of investigative teams is getting smaller and smaller. Uh, It has been for at least two decades. It's an easy thing to cut because great investigative journalism takes a lot of time. And so if you have a reporter that says, give me six months and I'll give you a front page story, a lot of publishers make the understandable decision of cutting the size of those teams. The hope with the IJF is that it allows all journalists to do the type of investigative work that would normally take them months in, in theory seconds. We've done the work of collecting, for example, lobbying records in all provinces and territories. We collected paper records, we converted them into machine-readable formats. You can type in a politician that you are investigating or a topic, whether it's inflation or real estate or the environment, and see who is 
seeking to influence government on these issues. And the value of that is for free right away, you can include that in your story, or maybe it's a jumping off point. You can call the lobbyist or call the politician. And we want our databases to be used by journalists, by citizens, by everyone who cares about Canadian democracy to better understand how these things work behind the scenes. The data scraping undertaking here sounds pretty intense. Do you want to take us through that process and the volunteer effort behind it and how you decided on the data sets that you're launching with? Thank you for saying that. It's a lot of work. I think mostly because while laws across Canada and every province and territory require this data to be public, it's not the type of data that politicians are incentivized to make easy to access. So a lot of this data is on websites that are 15 or 20 or 30 years old, and it is stored on PDFs or in other formats that are not easy to search. We've been very lucky to have an incredible community of volunteers, mostly from the civic tech space. So these are people whose day job might be working at Google or working for the federal government. And the way that they give back is they use their skills to help build scrapers. We've been lucky to have 84 different people contribute volunteer hours. And we also have four developers on staff who've basically spent the last 12 months doing nothing but building these scrapers. And that's been an incredible undertaking. I'm just really excited that it's live. Like we spent so long, you know, trying to figure out how to scrape the 25-year-old Quebec lobbying website. It's, it's nice that the data is out there for the world to see now. So with all of that data, how did you decide which stories you wanted to launch with? And, and what's the potential here? The stories that we launched with were ones that um, our incredible reporters pitched. We have a weekly editorial meeting. So we've been doing a weekly editorial meeting for about three months now since we've had the data cleaned and ready to go internally. The potential is, is significant. Uh, we've got a number of other stories lined up. We're looking at things like, do judges tend to donate to ruling parties before being appointed to their positions? We're looking at things like, which lobbyists get the most government funding. We've got a piece coming out, which is a co-production with Canada's National Observer next week, looking at some of the money that Canada's largest oil companies got to fight climate change, uh, which is somewhat of a controversial topic because they are, of course, contributing to climate change, but also getting government money to fight climate change. The potential is somewhat limitless. We add about 300 new records every day to the data. I'm really excited for the stories that we'll tell also around charities. Um, we're looking at charities that are sitting on significant assets, but not dispersing them to the communities that they were founded to uh, assist. We're looking at uh, private foundations that make more money in the stock market every year than they give out. All told, we have about 20 million rows of data across the eight databases. And part of the reason why we are making them, or we're collaborating with other media outlets, is because there's so much potential for 
stories that it would take, you know, many, many reporters. And we know what we don't know. I'm sure there's reporters out there who know Saskatchewan much better than me. Like I know Manitoba, I don't know anything about Saskatchewan or know BC better than me. And we want them to have access to the data to tell the stories that they think Canadians should know. Right. I think this is the kind of reportage that, you know, incentivizes many journalists to get into the business. And you've been able to attract some great journalists like Robert Roca, who left a stable job at the public broadcaster to join IGF. You yourself left the logic as a day one employee, as you mentioned, to pursue this. Do you want to talk about your passion for this undertaking and the group of staff you've been able to assemble? I'm incredibly grateful to the team that we've put together, especially to the people that have been working on this. We went live on January 4th. And the past 24 hours have been incredibly exciting. But up until now, we've just had a little website that basically says, we're launching soon. If you'd like in a a sneak preview, please give us your email. It's been really quiet and it feels kind of surreal, but very exciting to be live. And I sometimes say that the people who've joined the team so far, and we have a staff of 12 right now, are people who bought into the idea. One of our other reporters, I mean, Roberto's been amazing at recruiting at bringing on uh, people at being a mentor. You know, he would say to someone, well, think about what you could do if you had access to all the lobbying data. And they'd go, okay, that's really exciting. Sign me up. I want to help make this a reality. Now we have that data and now we're actually building it. And I'm incredibly grateful to our board of directors who have been instrumental in recruiting talent and helping recruit volunteers. Uh, We've got some great journalism leaders, uh, Karen Pugliese, editor-in-chief of the National Observer, Brent Jolly, president of the Canadian Association of Journalists, Sadia Zaman, who was a director at CBC, is now the CEO of the Inspirit Foundation, John Ruffalo, not a journalist, but an amazing tech leader, helped bring in tons of our volunteers, this really took a village, and I'm very excited and happy. I don't know. I'm. I'm. It's. Uh, it, it's wonderful to be left. I'm excited too. Like you, I have followed what's been going on in the U.S. and you know thought, wouldn't it be great if if that existed here in Canada? We've had such a polarizing couple of years for media, maybe more than a couple. And I think at first glance, some readers might take a look at your reportage and think, well, this is really kind of anti-liberal, because I think we've lost sight a little bit of the kind of scrutiny that governments in power were historically under by media entities. Have you had any early comments in that regard, or any comments from anywhere else, including the opposition, which, you know, should be having a field day with this? So in terms of the opposition, we're working on two follow-up stories now. They are very concerned. The NDP, the Greens, the Bloc are concerned about the story that we wrote exposing Justin Trudeau's weapons sales to authoritarian countries. They think those sales shouldn't be happening. There'll be more details coming out about what they are going to be asking the government for in response probably next week. And then similarly, Roberto's great piece looking at lobbyists attending fundraisers, despite the Liberal Party having rules that lobbyists should not attend fundraisers, because in the Prime Minister's words, it creates the perception of a conflict of interest. The opposition parties have been very interested in that story. 
And we'll be writing a follow-up on that as well with some demands that they're making. In terms of the liberal criticism, no, you were the first person to raise it, but I think it's perfectly reasonable. All of our stories right now are focused on federal politics. And we have an internal saying, you know, many journalists use it. We want our stories to speak truth to power. They're the ones in power. We will also have stories in the coming months looking at other powerful people, whether that be Doug Ford in Ontario or non-politicians, corporate leaders, etc. I think the best investigative journalism and the tradition of people like I.F. Stone challenges power wherever it is. And we are a nonpartisan media outlet, but that doesn't mean that if the Prime Minister of Canada says, I'm a feminist, I have a feminist foreign policy, I think that Stephen Harper shouldn't have sold weapons to Saudi Arabia, and then himself sells weapons to Saudi Arabia, that, that isn't the type of thing that we think Canadians should know. Let's talk about your funding model. You're starting with initial funds of about $790,000. Do you want to talk about sustainability? You do have a business plan for bigger media organizations who want to access the database in a more robust way. I am incredibly grateful to the dozen funders that have supported us pre-launch. And uh, as you said, we've raised about 800K. The goal to be sustainable financially and also to be independent long-term is to diversify revenue. We are asking people to subscribe to support us. We are seeking out other donors. The goal is to switch from having money just from donors and to a model where we have money from donors and readers. And critically, I'm excited for the potential of selling access to the data at scale to those organizations that are themselves trying to make money off of the data. So to give you an example, let's say you're a big bank, you're the Royal Bank of Canada, and you want to know every time the Bank of Montreal meets with the Department of Finance. You could go to our site and you could search five times a day and you could get that information. Or you could subscribe and we'll send you an email whenever it happens. You know, it doesn't need to be the Department of Finance, it can be the Department of the Environment or Immigration or whatever topics people are interested in. And the hope is that by charging people who are themselves interested in government policy, themselves interested in influencing government decisions, we will be able to expand our databases, we will be able to expand our team, and to create a media outlet that helps sustain Canadian journalism for many years to come. And you have plans to expand this beyond the current scope. Absolutely. The hope is to have dozens of public interest databases over the next couple of years. We're starting with eight, but there are many topics that Canadians, I think, have a right to access. So things like in most provinces, politicians have to disclose what stocks they own, what companies they own. That information is not combined. It's not searchable. It should be. There's things like government grants. So often, you know, governments give out grants to media outlets, to arts organizations, to 
uh, charities. This is also information that is generally speaking required by law to be public, not easily searchable. We at a high level are trying to make public interest data that is put out by the government easy for anyone to search and to better understand how their democracy works. Is there a thought that you want to close on, Zane? Just that. Please go to theigf.org, use the databases, read our stories, and please subscribe. Our thanks to Zane Schwartz. Learn more at theigf.org. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Teeson. listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.